Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is a little after three o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. We'll be joined shortly by my guy, Matthew Raftery. What's going on, guys? I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Let me cop some pleas right away. I apologize to you guys for not doing a show this weekend, this past weekend. I'll be completely honest. Um, went ahead and had a a plan at least it was last minute and both fell through (laughs) so that's ultimately why we didn't have the show on thursday um we planned on doing a weekend show um and then just some 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 things kind of came up with that i do want to welcome you guys i want to welcome you guys to the talk that talk radio show once again i apologize to anybody who uh unfortunately uh, normally checks in with us via our live stream. We apologize to you guys for that, uh, but it does seem to be be giving us a little some some issues today. So I apologize for that once again. But you guys can follow us on all of our social media. Still, you guys can go and follow us on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, our Twitter is Talk That Talk LV. If you guys want to follow us on Instagram, what else? Jeez, Instagram, Facebook. Pretty much anything else you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, everything else you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Again, Twitter is Talk That Talk LV. But welcome to the show, guys. Again, Matthew will be joining us. Um, Not even going to give a a guesstimate as to when he will join us, but he will join us. And because of that, I may go a little out of order here. Just, we'll see. I just got a text message, so now we'll see. <laughs> now we'll see if we go out of order or not. But, again, it's been such a a, a a busy time. And I'm not sure that Vegas would have it any other way. It's literally so many different things going on in Las Vegas right now. And it's so much to kind of wrap our head around, but we'll start with my mom's tip in. My mom actually just sent me this tip in a couple minutes ago, and we'll see if she sent me two, but I like this one. Champions keep playing until they get it right. Once again, champions keep playing until they get it right. So, oh, and that quote, again, was from Billie Jean King. I don't think I said that before, so let me go ahead and say it once. That quote is from Billie Jean King. But it's a lot to unpack. And to be quite honest, this past weekend, I'm not sure that I was even in the mental state to 
record an episode. Let me start by saying that. Saturday morning, woke up pretty early. Got some news around 9 o'clock our time, I believe it was. So I had been up for a couple hours, I believe, at that point. And I saw the first tweet rolled out. I believe this was from Adam Schefter at the time. And um, I actually got to take that back. The first thing I saw may have been like an Ohio State Buckeye like fan Twitter page. So when I saw that, I saw 1997 and I saw 2022 and I said no. And I saw a picture of Dwayne Haskins and I said no way. Shortly thereafter, I seen Adam Schefter's tweet, which I know a lot of people had feelings about. We'll get to that probably when Matt gets in. But the news broke that 24-year-old Dwayne Haskins was struck and killed by a vehicle in South Florida Saturday morning. Now, instant sorrow is what I felt. Praying for his family, his friends, his loved ones, his fans, his close associates, former teammates. Again, his parents, his sister. Painful. Painful news to read. Dwayne Haskins, again, was 24 years old. And his story will be told by several of those closest to him. His legacy will be kept alive by the actions that he partook in while here. And he's going to be remembered by those actions and by those people who were affected by those actions as, cl- as, as closely as possible. So, again, referencing his family and his friends, again, my heart aches for them. Memorializing, or I guess beginning to memorialize uh, a man who was 24 years old. That story that was tweeted out recently about his sister, Tamia, and their bond and their relationship, it hit home. It was touching. 
Keep in mind that I haven't said anything about Dwayne Haskins, the football player, yet. Dwayne Haskins, first of all, the let's get to the Adam Schefter tweet now. Adam Schefter, I don't even know if I still have the tweet. Knowing me, I typically do, but I don't appear that, it doesn't appear that I do. Okay, so. Adam Schefter tweeted, and I'm paraphrasing here. Dwayne Haskins, standout at Ohio, standout quarterback at Ohio State, who struggled to catch on with the Washington Commanders and Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL, and then he got to the unfortunate news. That drew the ire of a lot of athletes. Not 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 just athletes. Drew the ire of a lot of people. I admit it bothered me. Especially as of late, a lot of people kind of referenced several of those instances according to them, by Adam Schefter, where it need, this one needed to be called out kind of on a, on, on, a, on a larger scale. And that's what happened. It happened publicly because the tweet was made publicly. Adam Schefter did delete the tweet and reword it. By that time, former teammates had seen it already. Teammates that he was actively playing with. And they weren't so happy about it. And here's where my honesty kind of kicks in. In terms of me just being honest with you guys and telling you guys, I'm not sure if I was ready to do a show this weekend. Mentally. Because I've gone on record saying, now we're talking about Dwayne Haskins, the football player. So, we've gone on record saying, I've gone on record rather, saying that Dwayne Haskins was drafted by a Washington, we know what the team name was at that, at that time, but now the Washington Commanders and he was drafted by a team whose coaching staff didn't want him. As made evident by his first NFL snaps being taken on short notice in a week, First of all, no, pardon, it was short notice, but it was in a blowout in a week where he didn't have practice. This is your first round draft pick who just so happens to play the most important position on the football field.
Now you take that in a franchise that didn't attempt to help him grow. Let's say coaching staff, right? Let's not go ahead and put it on the entire Washington franchise, even though I probably could. And then he goes to a Pittsburgh Steelers team that was excited to have him in the quarterback room. Excited. Who has played quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the last 15 plus years? That would be Ben Roethlisberger. Barring something substantial happening, Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to start over Ben Roethlisberger. Neither was Josh Dobbs. Neither was Mason Rudolph. Just wasn't going to happen. Ben Roethlisberger retires. And they just spoke, the franchise just spoke about this recently. Explaining and expressing that they were excited about the development of Dwayne Haskins to possibly emerge as the backup or maybe even the starter. I'm on record earlier this year saying if Dwayne Haskins was not named the starter or backup or he was cut from the roster, then we had a conversation to have. What I find interesting is why that conversation is taking place now. Did I miss something? Did I miss something? What the hell does football have to do with anything right now? I believe I said this two years ago in 2020. I said I feel like the, the, the message of the year should be read the room. Read the room. Football is not important now. Football is the last thing that's on his family's mind right now. I haven't even spoken with my dad about former Dallas Cowboys exec Gil Brandt about what he said about Dwayne Haskins. Alluding to him leaving college early? His decision making? Referencing the accident? Now, there's, I'm sure that the people that felt disgusted by his comments could have said a lot more vile things to Gil Brandt. Matter of fact, let's figure it out. Let's do it right now as a unit. We're going to do it as a unit, guys. Gil Brandt, who is 90 years old, Turned 90 last month. 
This is a former football executive, guys. I know a lot of people don't like to take one-off situations and say it could give you a glimpse into somebody's mentality, into somebody's mind frame, into somebody's thinking, into somebody's moral compass. Why do I feel like we just took a look at Gil Brandt? I'm open to being wrong, but I know one thing I'm not wrong about, what I heard. I heard that he apologized today. I don't know that it matters. Or this is a couple of days ago. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it matters. What bothers me. And this is just me being completely honest and completely open. I'm confused. I'm confused when. Let me start by saying this. We have a job to do. In terms of critiquing athletics. That's what our job is. We critique it. We chronicle it. That's what we do. It is uber important. Uber important. To remember that these people are human beings. It's extremely important to remember that. We talk a lot about mental health, especially this day and age, right? We talk a lot about mental health. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And then we have instances like this where one could argue a lot of people didn't take Dwayne's mental health into consideration when he was going through what he was going through in Washington. So now these insensitive comments could affect the mental health of his family after such a tragic accident. For, for, for now, I'm going to bring up what I always bring up in times like this. When people, and I don't even think it's necessarily, you know what? Let me not even, I'm not even going to bring it up because it's not even applicable. I'm not even sure that's applicable. If you are going about the business of discussing the passing of 24-year-old Dwayne Haskins, leave football out of it. When DMX passed away, God bless the dead, I started that by saying rest in peace to Earl Simmons. Rest in peace to the man. 
not the entertainer, the, the, the man first, not the entertainer first. Dwayne Haskins was a human being first and a football player after. I understand why people got upset at Adam Schefter. Because Adam struggled at something. I'm not sure that Adam would want people to highlight what he struggled at, according to them, mind you. Mentioning what, what, what they believe he struggled at or struggled with. I'm not sure that any of it matters. We say mental health matters. And then we do this. Let me not even say we. You guys do this. I don't get it, man. Doesn't make sense to me. I guess this is the part where I let you guys know that as I mentioned before, I know how my initial reaction was. So that's it. I'm going to attempt to move forward in the show. I apologize to those who wanted to get through that segment without a little bit of raised voices. Unfortunately, you guys know I'm not very good at that. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. But again, um, we just have to be mindful of the platform that we have and the seat that we hold and how loud these microphones can actually be. Um, we've all made mistakes. And how loud Twitter can be, I should say, too. We've all made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And um, that said, you you move on. You learn from it. You grow. And... You take that into consideration when you move forward and you understand and you grow and you 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 take on new challenges in life. And as long as I have this platform, for lack of a better term right now, I'm going ahead, gonna go ahead and credit and shout out to Cam Newton, but I'm gonna keep it funky at all times. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it as funky as possible with you guys. Um so just a little raw emotion to kind of start the show. So I apologize to you guys for that. However, let's get right into some football talk. Um, let, let's go ahead and talk about week five in the IFL, week five in the indoor football league. And your Vegas Golden Knights. No, wait, why did I just do that? Your Vegas Nighthawks. I apologize, guys. We're, we are talking about the Golden Knights before the end of the show. Um, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, but as of right now, we expected Matt to be here for that segment. Now, your Vegas Nighthawks. They're they're coming off of a short week where they closed week four with a Monday night game. 
And then they opened up week, they were a part of the, the slate of games. That opened up week five here on Friday night. And I say here because the game took place, the third game in the first through the first four, that is taking place at the, at the Dollar Loan Center. Once again, guys, it is the Dollar Loan Center. If you haven't been out there to check it out, please do so. Henderson, Nevada, check it out. The Henderson Silver Knights play there. Your Vegas Nighthawks play there. You're going to want to be there. However, if you were there on Friday, you saw something that looked a little little lopsided and it was a little lopsided because it came in a form of a 67 to 20 victory for the Arizona Rattlers yes that was a 47 point win for the now undefeated I guess still undefeated 4-0 Arizona Rattlers the, the, the story is up on talk that talk uh, radio.com and I kind of mentioned it in the story that they, they playing the simple just ran into an offensive buzzsaw. This is an Arizona team that leads the league in scoring and total offense. So just to kind of give you guys an idea about how dangerous this Arizona Rattlers team is, a lot of team, a lot of um, fans rather and analysts of the sport feel like that's one of the better teams in this league and it's probably going to be a team that's competing for a championship by the end of the season now Arizona's dominance bled through we saw what it was 47 point win however we just talked about their offense their defense put up some pretty gaudy numbers so you know wait before we before we even get to the defense let me pause for a sec. Let me give you guys a little bit of the offensive numbers. In terms of drive numbers. In terms of moving the ball, the Rattlers had no problem doing so. The Rattlers had a drive in the first half that was 36 seconds. It was a touchdown drive, mind you guys. That was 36 seconds. Just give you a couple of quick pointers. They scored on the first play of the second quarter. They scored on the first play of the third quarter. They did have a, a, a stretch in the third quarter where they had a drive of seven-plus minutes. That obviously didn't come without a little bit of help. Defensive back Kyrie McLean was called for defensive holding in the secondary on a fourth and fifteen. Now, interestingly enough, but it also happened on this drive, Arizona quarterback Drew Powell fumbled the ball on that drive only for Arizona to recover it. That seven-plus-minute drive put Arizona up 47-14. to 14. Fourth quarter, it didn't get, it was in, that was in the third quarter. Fourth quarter doesn't get much better for this particular Night for the Nighthawks, pun intended. But Arizona had three fourth quarter touchdown drives. Two of the drives equal a grand total of three plays. You guys heard me right. In the fourth quarter, the Arizona Rattlers had three fourth quarter touchdowns. Three of them. 
Two of those drives equaled three total plays. Keep in mind, I haven't even told you guys about what 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 happened with this Nighthawk offense. If you guys want, we can get into that right now. But I felt like it was an omen in the beginning of the game because the Vegas Nighthawks had first and goal from the one-yard line. It's going to sound like an exaggeration, but I, I promise you guys it happened. First down. No touchdown. There's a theme here. Second down, no touchdown. Third down, they don't find the end zone either. I said, so if after Arizona comes out and scores in four plays, Vegas cannot attempt four plays from the one-yard line and fail to get in. That's going to set the tone for today. Lo and behold, guys, that fourth down attempt did not find the end zone for Vegas either. They turned the ball over on downs. On that drive, one of the league's leading receivers, and definitely the Nighthawks' leading receiver, and Frank Brown was wide open on a second down, wide open downfield. Pay dirt in front of him but was overthrown by quarterback Jalon Henderson. Jalon Henderson didn't necessarily have the hottest of nights. I believe he, and I'm not looking at the exact numbers. Am I? Oh, I could look at the exact numbers. So let me go ahead and give you the exact numbers. Now, Jalon Henderson went 4 of 16 on Friday night, passing for 43 yards with a touchdown and three interceptions. It was damaging all the way around for this offense. In the second quarter, he was actually picked off by Brandon Ezell. There's a reason why I'm bringing this name up, and if you guys are kind of wondering why I was sprinkled into the story, I know a little bit more about Brandon Ezell than most people probably would if they're just covering Vegas teams, and that's because me and Easy went to Cerritos College together. So I know a little bit about Easy. Let me give you guys just a little inside scoop about Brandon Ezell. Cerritos has a rivalry with El Camino. It's the battle for the milk can. You know what? Take that back. It wasn't even this game. I believe it was against Santa Monica. And I, I he probably would know the, the opponent better than me. But you guys know defensive backs have a certain swagger about them. Brandon Ezell is no different. So Easy got an interception against Santa Monica one of those nights. And when I tell you guys, it was a back shoulder pass to the receiver. Completely, completely widely thrown. In the back of the end zone, Brandon Ezell stuck up one hand. Stuck up the right hand. Like glue. The ball stuck to his hands like glue. And he got his left foot down in bounds. Sideline went crazy. The stadium went crazy. 
to see that interception in week or excuse me in in the second quarter brought back a memory of when he picked off I may have been Ken Oblad at Sam Boyd Stadium. Just small things that I remember. Now, I would love to highlight more of the Vegas Nighthawks in this pre- in, in in this present moment, but I'll be honest, guys, in a 47-point loss, you don't have very many of them. But Jalen Henderson was lifted in the second quarter for a brief moment for backup quarterback Kyrie Lyles. We'll get to him in a second as well. But Henderson would return on a drive and later score the first touchdown, first points of the night for the hometown Vegas Nighthawks. Now... Here's where things get a little tricky. Because Jalen Henderson in the second half, or maybe I'm actually incorrect. I was. So in the second quarter, this was before he was lifted. He was lifted because after that Brandon Ezell interception, Jalen Henderson threw his second interception of the night. This two of three. His second of three, I should say. And that one went all the way back for a pick six. At that time, the Vegas Nighthawks were down 26 to nothing. That's before he scored the first points of the game. He was picked off again in the second half before Lyles came in for the remainder of the game. Didn't get much better for Vegas. Lyles went six of seventeen with a touchdown and an interception, passing for forty-four yards. Just not a not not just really not a good night overall for the Nighthawks. And I would like to say that it gets better. I would like to say that mainly because you have your Nighthawks at two and two on the season, and before the season started, head coach. And general manager Mike Davis also kind of let it be known to everybody that if this team was 2-2 two two after the first four weeks, first four games rather, that that would be a win in his eyes. So I want to tell you guys that it should be a win in your eyes because the Vegas Nighthawks are 2-2 two, are two two, heading into a week six matchup against the Northern Arizona Wranglers. Now, if you guys are wondering why that name sounds familiar, that's because that was the first opponent for this Vegas Nighthawk franchise what was that, March 18th? March 18th, when the team got their first franchise win, that final score was 22-9. to Now they get to do it again in Prescott Valley, Arizona. We'll see what happens when the game kicks off. April 16th, that's a Saturday, 7 p.m. Check it out. You guys can uh, see all of the IFL games on their YouTube page. This one should be interesting. This one should be interesting, especially considering that the Knights just the Nighthawks rather just came off of this 47-point loss. And now you have another matchup, the second of three matchups this season with the Northern Arizona Wranglers. We have about what is that? 25 minutes or so in this first hour. So we're going to get to something else that happened this weekend. And that's the Las Vegas Aviators. 
Let's get to the Aviators for a brief moment because the Aviators had a six-game series. They had a season-opening six-game series against the Reno Aces. And in case you guys are wondering, in case your ears kind of started to tingle in that moment, yes, that is Las Vegas versus Reno. You know how big that rivalry is. It is the Silver State Diamond Series here in minor league baseball. Your Aviators, through four games, didn't have the best outlook on everything in terms of this particular uh, series. At least it didn't look the best. This team opened up this series one and three. They won the first game and then lost three straight uh, before finally winning the the final two games of the series. We'll get to some of these games in in, in a moment, but um, it's interesting because Las Vegas ballpark is always where I'm going to start with, with with the Las Vegas Aviators. Sellout crowd on opening night. You had the Knights to deal with, the Golden Knights to deal with the night after. So kind of up and down attendance the first two days, but pretty consistent the rest of the way through. Uh, had a 7.9 thousand. One of those nights had another 8,000, I believe, uh, one of those nights. Just tremendous turnout for the Las Vegas ballpark and your Las Vegas Aviators this season. Now, because it's our first look at the Las Vegas Aviators in this first series, we're going to be forced to, I don't want to say come up with some storylines, but ponder some storylines early in the season that may ultimately turn out to be nothing by the end of it. But we've seen this team last season kind of have starters um, have, have have moments, have bright spots, and then just the bullpen kind of fell apart. And that's exactly what it looked like after a great start by Parker Dunchy on Wednesday night. He went in dazzled and 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 just just an amazing outing for him. Parker Dunchy actually had thoracic. Oh, why am I forgetting the second word? Wow, he had surgery last year. On and I don't I can't think of the actual procedure, but he had surgery on um, the area of his body between his collarbone and his first rib. So that is where he had issues. And there there was a point in time last season where we believed kind of behind the scenes that he was done for the year. I asked it was thoracic outlet surgery. That, in case you guys were wondering, um, I was wondering if they got if they wanted me to kind of run with that news and 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 inform the 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 aviator faithful out there about Parker Dunshee's injury and. They kind of told me to hold off. So I held off only for Parker Dunshee to return. I believe it was the end of August. He returned at the end of August, missed three months of the season, so a healthy chunk of the season after uh, recovering from thoracic outlet surgery. But came back. I believe he got a win on the road at the time. It was during this game that I realized that Parker Dunshee is still without a home AAA win. Get that, guys. Parker Dunshee is with is still without a home AAA win. I don't even now. I don't know how much, and I know baseball is a long season. I don't know how much everybody's looking into numbers like this, or anybody's looking into numbers like this. But I think this would change. Almost immediately, if the team knew about it, 
Perker Deshi doesn't have a home win here in Las Vegas. Just something to highlight for you guys. Kyle Luge made two starts during the series. It's still without a decision. Luge started game one of the series, and he also started the final game of the series. Both wins for Las Vegas, despite him getting the no decision. See if I can pull up Luge's numbers now. Again, two games played this season, two games started. He has gone six and two-thirds. He's allowed six runs, four of which have been earned. On seven hits, he has given up three home runs. Just to kind of give you guys an idea about what Luge is doing, rather. Excuse me. On the mound, he also has six strikeouts and three walked batters. Speaking of batters, let's talk about some batters really quick. Let's start with some prospects. We're here in minor league baseball. This, this is what we do, right? We talk prospects. Let's talk about Shea Langoliers, recently acquired in the Matt Olsen deal with the Atlanta Braves, was traded in March, I believe, last month. And now he's here starting this season with the Las Vegas Aviators, the number three prospect, excuse me, pardon, number two prospect in the A's organization. Dominant in his moments. He has six, excuse me, he has six hits in his 19 at-bats through five games played so far. He's cross-played five times. That's large part because of his three home runs, his six RBIs. He has struck out four times. He does have one walk. His average is 316 on the season. Speaking of averages, let's talk about who leads this team in terms of average. It is Luis Barrea. Luis Barrea is batting 429. Nine hits and 21 at-bats. Six runs scored. Get this Get this stat, guys. Six runs scored in five games played for Luis. And he hasn't walked. He hasn't even walked yet. Just to give you guys a little bit of, of an idea about how quickly this season has started for Luis Barea. As a matter of fact, last season started just as quickly for Barea. But the biggest moment of this season, of this short season so far, this early season, was his walk-off home run down to his final out, down to his final strike, lifted a pitch over the right field wall and over the right field berm, and the aviators flooded out of the dugout and swarmed home plate in anticipation for Luis to cross it. That walk-off home run secured a season, or excuse me, a series split for Las Vegas and Reno. One last stat for you guys. Second in average is the number three prospect in the A's organization, and that is second baseman. I should just say infielder. Infielder Nick Allen. He's batting 417 this season. He's played in all six games so far this season, and I believe he is the only 
Aviator battered two play in all six games this season, at least so far this season. He has a team-high 10 hits in his 24 at-bats. He does have a home run. That was his first AAA home run that he hit earlier this series, or last series, I should say, at this point. That was on Saturday night that Nick Allen hit his first AAA home run, and he did it at Las Vegas Ballpark in a winning effort for your Aviators. Keep in mind, guys, that series had four one-run games. Four one-run games, and the Aviators out-hit Reno, or the Aces, in four of those six games, but carried a 2-2 two and two record in such games. Even had one loss where they out-hit the Aces 12-5. to five. I don't know, man. You tell me. I don't have answers for it, but I do have answers in terms of who the Aviators are playing next. And the Aviators will hop on the road. They're probably on the road right now, or at least they're on the road today because today is their travel day. Tomorrow they will start a fresh six-game series on the road at Salt Lake against the Salt Lake Bees of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in their organization. That first pitch will take place approximately 5.35 p.m. And again, that's taking place down in Salt Lake. You guys want to check out your aviators and the bees tomorrow, April 12th, 535 first pitch scheduled. Be there, be square. Speaking of be there, be square. It's pretty dope to, to, to tell this story. Considering everything that we've seen, just in terms of this athletic organization. So you can't make these things up, but the Oakland Athletics, they started their year, I believe, on Friday, April 8th. They opened up their season on the road in Philadelphia. They opened the season 0-2 before – or, excuse me, they opened the season 0-2 at Philadelphia before a 4-1 win yesterday. There was a 4-1 win on Sunday that gave manager Mark Kotze his first career win. Big-time action for Mark Kotze in the Oakland Athletics. Hopefully first of many. <laughs> I know that's what a lot of the Oakland brass hope for this season. It may be a struggle. This season, it may be a struggle. That was the series finale last night. Mark Kotze and his Oakland Athletics are now 1-2 and two to open the season. They did open the season against the Philadelphia Phillies team who sported an interesting name. Starting at third base on opening day, guys. Big time action for a former UNLV Rebel, Bryson Stott, was not only named to the opening day roster, he made the opening day starting lineup. He started in thir at, at third base, and he batted eighth for the Philadelphia Phillies, went two, in, went two for four, rather, in their win. I want to make sure I got this properly. Okay, perfect. 
He went two for four in the win. Hit a double. Scored a run. Nice stuff for Bryson Stott. From Bryson Stott, I should say. A lot of conversation in the, at the Las Vegas ballpark about that move and about his success. Um, as I'm sure he already knows, he has a host of fans here in Las Vegas that still support him. Pretty interesting to see, uh, even in a game like this, kind of those lines be teetered. But we'll see how his season progresses with the Philadelphia Phillies while we simultaneously let you guys know up to date about your Oakland Athletics and your Las Vegas Aviators. Now, again, guys, we're headed into this second hour, and I don't know if we're going to do a little bit over two hours today because of the way that last week went, but I do want to let you guys know as soon as we get back, we will talk WNBA draft. Yes, the WNBA draft is set to take place. three. It starts to set to start three minutes from now. It will start three minutes from now. We will update you guys on the draft live as it happens. We will also let you guys know what's going on with the Las Vegas Aces and their five picks tonight. They have the eighth and the 11th of the first round, not to mention the 13th of the uh, of the second round to kind of open it up. Just to give you guys an idea, a lot of big names on the board. A lot of big names on the board. You have a couple of minutes to go check out any mock draft. I'm probably going to reference CBS, but that's just a little foreshadowing. But you guys will hear from me in about two minutes, and we will take care of the WNBA draft, along with much more on this episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. Hour number two of Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it, guys. Hour number two of Talk That Talk. Again, you guys can follow us on social media. You guys can find us on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk LV on Twitter. Any other platform, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, any other platform is Talk That Talk Radio Show. Now, gang, the WNBA draft has just kicked off. The Atlanta Dream are on the clock. And tonight, lives will be changed. Franchises will be changed. The league will be changed. The sport will be changed forever. A host of new ladies will enter the league. I'm excited to see what your Las Vegas Aces does. I mean, let, let's, let's just be honest. Let's talk about your Las Vegas Aces really quick, guys, because the Aces, as of right now, I'm just going to go down the roster, guys. Kalani Brown, Sydney Colson, Chelsea Gray, De'Erica Hamby, Teresa Placence. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I haven't spoken to you directly just yet. Hopefully I said that correctly. Kelsey Plum, Kia Stokes, Raquana Williams, Asia Wilson, and Jackie Wilson, head coach. You guys know who the head coach is. Head coach is Becky Hammond. ESPN still has it as Bill Lambeer, but don't worry about it. We know that it's Becky Hammond. Bill Lambeer is still in the building, so don't, don't get it confused, guys. Bill Lambeer is still close and nearby to the building. But your Las Vegas Aces, they have five picks in this year's draft. They have picks 8, 11, 13, 23, and 35. Now. Obviously, whenever you're on draft night, you're worried about who's falling where, right? The best thing to do if you're worried about it in, in, in a in a pre in a prelude sense, you only get the mock drafts to look at. So let's go ahead and give you guys an update. If you guys haven't checked on your WNBA mock draft, let me give you guys an idea of who they are potentially 
angling for your Las Vegas Aces with the number eight pick after a yesterday or after a trade yesterday with the Minnesota Lynx, trading their first and second round picks for next season for number eight. Yes, for this year's number eight overall pick. As of right now, CBS Sports has Destiny Henderson, guard from South Carolina, headed to Sin City. If that happens, first of all, you would have another Gamecock on your Las Vegas Aces. You'll have another South Carolinian. Is it Linian? South Carolinian. And Destiny Henderson, of course, Asia Wilson, is a South Carolina Gamecock as well. Henderson in season averaged 11.5 points per game on 40% from the field, 40% from three, 3.1 rebounds and 3.9 assists. So you can pretty much say four assists, three rebounds for Destiny Henderson. She would bring, again, a 40% trigger from three. We'll see if this Aces team goes with that. I know shots are our Florida man fact checker, Salim Dweck, has said for quite some time, three-point shooting will change this team's outlook. I think that's what Becky Hammond is coming in to come into to, to inject this team with. And I think if that's the case, Destiny Henderson may be a maybe a perfect start to that path and that journey. As of right now, number 11. We're talking about mock drafts here. Number 11, CBS expects the if they keep the pick, the Aces to draft Elisa Kunan. And I hope that I'm not pronouncing that wrong. Kubi Kunani, I'm, I hope I'm not wrong. Center from NC State, she averaged 13.7 points per game this season on 53% from the field. She had a 42% mark from three-point range to go along with 7.6 rebounds per game. That is somebody who they've mentioned as a potential replacement in terms of CBS for Liz Cambage, who departed Las Vegas for L.A. this offseason. Liz Cambage is 6'8". Elisa is 6'5". So I know I mentioned Kalani Brown with Sequoia Holmes. Shout out to Sequoia Holmes. We'll get to her in just a few moments. I know we talked about Kalani Brown and whether 6'7", Kalani Brown, former Baylor product, could replace Liz Cambage. Now, it's going to be a complete team effort, but... With the star power that's on this team, I think replacing Liz Cambage in a by-committee type format is probably the only way to go in this particular, well, with this particular franchise. But we'll see what happens beginning tonight. Obviously, the draft is on as we speak. In the studio, I actually have the draft on. We shall see. And matter of fact, it says that they're on the clock on ESPN, but I haven't seen Kathy Engelbert actually come out and officially start the draft. I, I could be wrong, but just to kind of give you guys an outlook on that. The draft is on in studio. And unfortunately, guys, it appears as if the show may not go uh, the full distance only because we, as you guys can tell, Matt has not showed up. Um, just yet. Uh, I still say just yet because he's in the building. Trust me. I just saw Matt. I've seen Matt a couple of times. Um, duty calls. So I just want to let you guys know. And that's unfortunate because one particular topic I want to say for him, and that was this amazing interview that was done by Straight Bet Sports 
Jose Volante, Jose Volante, EMB of Marvin Coleman the second. Yes, that is former running rebel guard Marvin Coleman the second. They did a great interview with him on Wednesday night. Uh, didn't get the chance to check it live, but I did check it out after the fact and just get an idea, just a glimpse into what was going on for um, this particular conversation. I don't even want to necessarily call it an interview. It was a conversation. Now, I I don't even know. I'm not even sure where we'll start with that conversation whenever Matt gets here. Um, not entirely sure where to end. So. It'll probably be something that me and Matt probably play by ear as Kathy Engelbert actually heads out to the to the stand as we speak. And she is opening the 2022. Wow, almost two years. I was almost two, two years in the past. She is opening up the 2022 WNBA draft where you're at. Oh, I shouldn't say you're where the Atlanta dream will be on the clock first. Former assistant coach Tanisha Wright is now the head coach. For the Atlanta Dream, we'll see who the first pick of her tenure is. Matter of fact, got a former Aces over in that former Aces piece in that front office as well. Now, let's talk about a former, I guess I could say Ace, mainly because this person. Play for the, of course, they played for the Aces when they were the San Antonio Stars. But this person is now playing in Greece. This play, this person is playing over for Panathinaikos in Greece. And in case you guys are wondering about the A one playoffs and why we hadn't given you guys an update in quite some time, it's mainly because there was no update for the A one playoffs over in Greece. Panathinaikos is still scheduled to to, to square off against Esperitas, and that game is scheduled for tomorrow. As of right now, they it does appear that the dates have been changed at least three times. That's because the cup was still being played for. We'll let you guys aware, uh, let you guys in on some fun facts about that one in just one moment. But Panathinaikos again will host Esperitas tomorrow, while Olympiacos will take on Chania. But let's talk about this cup for a second because the final four. We were actually we were down to our final four earlier this week, and they went ahead and and played and. And Olympiacos had a matchup against, am I, wait a minute, okay. I don't know why that looked weird. So Olympiacos had a matchup against Panathinaikos. So this was exactly what, this is exactly what was being discussed for weeks. Another matchup with, with, with Olympiacos for Panathinaikos, right? Another opportunity to prove that we're not just better than everybody else in the league, but Olympiacos. We can be better than everybody else in the league. We can be the best team in the league. And it was a 14-point loss, unfortunately, for Panathinaikos. They were dominated in the second quarter, 24-11. to 11. That was the tune in terms of what they lost that second quarter, 24-11. to 11. 
Not to mention they ended the game on a on a, on a, on a the wrong end, on the opposite end of a seventeen to thirteen run. Olympiacos went on to win the twenty twenty two Cup. So while the A one Greek playoffs is getting ready to start back up, I gotta I gotta imagine you still got some pretty some pretty some pretty scorned feelings considering that there was another opportunity to not only and, and this isn't even just for the championship, but this was an opportunity to keep Olympiacos from even competing in the cup final, which Panathinaikos was unable to do. We will see if Panathinaikos can take care of Esperitas and see if Olympiacos can take care of, Ch- of Chania on the other side of the bracket, and they will meet up again if that is the case in the A1 finals. Good news, guys. Matthew Rafter is in the building. Matt, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, another another week in paradise. Here at UNLV, for sure. I was just telling the telling uh, the listeners that wasn't really sure whether you were going to make it to the show because I told people, and a lot of people may have been thinking, I'm not going to say they were, may have been thinking, uh, oh, what's going on? Where's Matt? Where's Matt? And I was like, well, just so you guys know, in case you're asking that question, Matt's in the building. I've seen Matt a couple of times, <laughs> like just kind of letting everybody know. But I said that duty calls, and uh, we we've gone over. I'm not gonna lie, we've gone over a, a pretty he- a pretty hefty part of the show. Uh, we've actually ran through. First of all, we started with Dwayne Haskins, and I gave a good 20 minutes on that. Um, you kind of already knew where I stood. We talked at the Aviator game. Um, we could open up with that, but just before we do that, um, or you could enter with that. But following that conversation, we did the Vegas Nighthawks, we did the Las Vegas Aviators, we talked Oakland Athletics, and of course with a Bryson Stott tie-in. The WNBA draft actually just started, and in case you guys are not following at home, the first pick has been made, and the Atlanta Dream has taken Ryan Howard. Yes, Ryan Howard of Kentucky is now an Atlanta Dream. Now, number two. Number two is, is up for grabs as of right now. A lot of people were expecting Nalisa Smith to be the one from Baylor. We'll see if Indiana feels the exact same way. Following that, uh, and actually following that basketball conversation, we did break down Panathinaikos and where they kind of stand. So now we can go ahead and have you give your Dwayne Haskins uh, opinion if you so choose. And then I got an interesting topic for you, I think. So, I mean, for me, I don't know if there's necessarily a whole lot that could be said about Dwayne Haskins, but I think if there is anything that can be said, um, similar to kind of what we talked about, um, I I think that it, I mean this might this is probably just a hunch of mine. I don't know if this to be completely true. Um, quite frankly, the only one that would actually know if it's true or not, unfortunately, isn't with us anymore. Right. I think there's not enough people a talking about men's mental health and b having enough concern about it Mm. because I feel like it gets brought up and people go oh yeah you know that that's important but it's one thing to say it it's another thing to to believe it and I think you know Dwayne Haskins could have very well found himself at a crossroads in his life um, where you know, he may have felt like, 
you take the time in Washington that he had, which wasn't great by a lot of accounts, that it's an organization that didn't want him. They made it publicly known they did not want him. And then he finds himself in Pittsburgh. Yep. But he finds himself in Pittsburgh as probably a number three starting quarterback, maybe a four stringer. And aside from Dwayne Haskins on the field, I mean, you can have that conversation if you want. Not really going to get into it. I think you put that all together, given where Dwayne Haskins came from, that has to play a huge factor emotionally, I think, for Dwayne Haskins, where you come from being at the top of the world at Ohio State to now you're somebody's somebody's backup. You know, you're the backup to the backup, essentially. Right. And I think Dwayne, ask, Dwayne Haskins probably started asking himself a lot of questions that are, quite frankly, tough to ask. And they're questions that not a lot of people like asking themselves. They're not a lot of que- they're not they're questions that not a lot of people like bringing to the forefront when it comes to you know when they do if they do find that professional help. And it sounds like at least given the information we know, it felt like Dwayne Haskins may have been needing that professional help to kind of get off of that dark road that he was, it felt like going down. And, it, you know, it's not something that, you know, was pulled out of thin air. We've had people go on record publicly in the media industry and, you know, attest to the fact that Dwayne Haskins um, was bothered was was bothered by something. Um, and you could tell he was internally bothered by something. For what it's worth, two, four hours ago, a story just broke that um, his final comment on his wife his wife's most recent post uh said helped me get through my quote helped me get through my storm and that in itself kind of alludes to evidently the exact word that he used was storm so we don't know exactly what storm he was dealing with but he did allude to something um and and i think you bring up something that's very very valid I, i talked about it kind of to start the show that we have a job here to critique football or took your cheek athletics as a whole. And in doing that, you always, you always want to remember that these people are human beings, that these people are are, are human, uh, as I just mentioned. And you always want to understand the mental health aspect of it, right? We understand we're in the entertainment business. Jokes are going to happen. Laughs are going to happen. But you know when you're harping on something. You know when you're talking about something that has nothing to do with the sport. You know those moments. And... If that's the case, you know when you when you have entered dangerous territory in those moments. So I've brought up what Gil Brandt said. I've brought up the 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 news that was broken by Adam Schefter and then reworded by Adam Schefter. And again, as I said before, I ended it by saying that we all learn and we or we live and we learn. Um, but I can't help but get irritated with the fact that they happen with black men. It appears the most. So I was honest with the audience, and I told the audience, yes, we had planned on doing a weekend show. It didn't happen for a couple of different reasons, but I don't know that one of the reasons was I just wasn't sure if I was ready. And by the way that this first 21 minutes of this episode sounds, I probably wasn't. 
And as we did in the first hour, we're going to attempt to get back to regular sports talk. <laughs> but as we said before, it's our job to critique sports. But in a situation where you're breaking news like the Dwayne Haskins most recent news, I said it during the first hour, guys, sports just doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter at a time like this. Got anything else on it? I think he said it pretty rock solid. You want to talk basketball since we're watching the draft? Sure. Let's do it. So you shrugged and said sure because the NBA season just wrapped up and the WNBA, it appears that, they're, they, that, they, that they've gotten better with their scheduling apparently because we got the draft on a day when we don't have to worry about NBA basketball. And yes, I keep saying yes because I feel like these mock drafts are going to get a lot of this right. Nalisa Smith actually just went number two to Indiana from Baylor to Indiana to Washington Mystic, who did have the number one pick originally. They're now picking third. They're also picking 14th, a part of their second uh, pickup in that trade with the Atlanta Dream. I wonder if this is a Boston situation where we would have took Jason Tatum at one anyway. We don't mind being three. If they didn't want Ryan Ryan Howard and they didn't want Nalisa Smith, Whoever they're picking next was going to be their number one draft pick regardless. That's what I'm smelling. You know what else I'm smelling? Hmm. Half-truths. Smelling a couple half-truths. I think the half-truths came from Marvin Coleman. <laughs> Again, shout-out to our guys over at Straight Best Sports and their relationship with Marvin Coleman. Um... We're going to critique what we saw. And there's plenty of things that I obviously want to take away from, um, from, from that interview, I should say. And I wrote down a couple of little – I didn't even write these notes down while watching the interview. I just watched the interview and wrote the notes down a little bit after. But he's <laughs> just hilarious. Um, in case you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, of course, there's a Twitter ticker on the draft, and Asia admitted that she just she's only tweeting because she wants to see it on the screen right now. So, <laughs> just hey guys, uh, a shout out to Asia. And again, I've been around a couple of different stars before. I haven't been around every star in the world, but I've been around that star. I don't know many more superstars that's that approachable. Like Asia's everywhere, dog. Yeah, she's truthfully everywhere. <laughs> so enjoy it, Vegas. Enjoy it. Um, Don't let it leave. I'm sorry. That's why I said enjoy it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you got you got to win now. This clock is ticking. Um, there there may have been a few teams that just caught us straight with that comment. <laughs> not all at the professional level either, because let's talk about this level. Right. This collegiate level gives you ups and downs. And Marvin Coleman spoke about those ups and downs. I thought what was most interesting was that he he highlighted two uncles that passed away. Most recently. Um, and it kind of passed away, I believe. He said back when uh, it was in December, or was it September? And when was it February? Or was it December and February? I apologize, Marvin. Um, but he mentioned that. And he mentioned that wasn't an easy time for him. It was something that he was dealing with. It was something that he was not the most comfortable with. So we know what happens when people aren't comfortable with something. They kind of internalize it differently. And they may lash out in certain ways. I take it that way because he said that both sides could have done better. 
when I heard that, I'll tell you what went through my mind initially. What went through my mind initially was, okay, so my initial, my initial thought was right. Marvin said something probably at practice or in a film study or something like that, but it was probably a group setting where he said something. And being a first-year head coach, and he had nothing but great things to say about Kevin Kruger and the coaching staff, in fact. He did say or allude to some other powers that may have lied to him about some things. I mean, I don't know, guys. He spoke pretty glowingly about Kevin Kruger. <laughs> interesting. Call it what you want. Just interesting. Yeah, call it what you want. I know. And didn't he at Eric Harper? Never mind. He did. I, I thought I was tripping. Um, you know, he made sure to put the at in there. He took it to another level by putting the at in there. So. I, okay, I thought I saw that too. But when he said both sides could have done better, I said, okay, so that means Marvin says something that he shouldn't say. Marvin acted out in a way that he shouldn't act it out. We know these things happen. When I heard both sides could have done better coming off of the uncle conver- uh, the, the, the uncle's passing conversation, Remember that thing you just said about men's mental health? He said the support wasn't there. Interesting. He said his teammates were there. He said everything outside of his teammates, the support wasn't there from the program. To that you say what? Because in that sense, I'm lashing out however I want to lash out. It's tough because I'm trying to figure I'm trying to in a sense diagnose who exactly he's talking about. Because if he's speaking glowingly about the coaching staff and Kevin Kruger, mm-hmm. that leads me to believe that they were there. Because I feel like if they weren't, he wouldn't have spoken of them in such high regard. Or I could speak of you in such high regard in terms of your basketball prowess and where you're taking a program. I still could believe that you messed up in this particular aspect. I don't know if Marvin's that type of person, though. And my guess is, and this is just a, a sheer guess. I don't have any inside information on it. We're anything darks like, in the dark. Yes. My guess is, Marv went to Harp, told him what was going on, said, I'm going to need some time away from the team. And on top of that, I'm going to need like some help. So if you have anybody that is designated within the athletic department, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the help. I don't know if her maliciously did it, but my guess is that conversation went along the lines of Harp basically saying either, well, one of two things. If I'm trying to stay with, along the logic and the timeline that Marvin put out, mm-hmm. my guess is Hart probably said, yeah, we've got somebody for that. I'll get back to you. Hmm. And then Harp never got back to Marvin. And maybe Marvin kept following up and, you know, Harp kind of just in a sense, strung Marvin along the way. Maybe maybe told him stuff like, oh, well, you know, I'll get right on that or, 
you know, check back, you know, next week, whatever the case may be. A lot of like hearsay or hearsay, I guess. Can I give you an anecdote that maybe helps you out with this theory? Yeah. When I tore my Achilles, and you guys know I'm gonna be as 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 honest as possible. Um, it's tough to be honest in the moment when you're dealing with it, but most people already know this. Uh, when I tore my Achilles, I was taken off of work. I was taken off of uh, off of school. I was, all of these different things. I showed up to school almost every day still. And part of me was like, I can't sit in that. First of all, I'm not used to sitting down, so I can't sit in the house by force. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm a troublemaker, Matt, but I don't like being forced to do things. And you know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it it just depends. And the fact that I felt like it was my fault that I was injured and I tore my Achilles, I was like, you got to deal with it. Go to work. Go to school. Figure it out. Shout out to my academic advisor, Kamisha Johnson Padilla. She she sent me to Zamani. Shout out to Gary Lawson for even um, – because I wasn't going to tell my academic advisor. I wasn't. And when I did it, or I, I lied, I told Gar, uh, Gary Larson, and he said he wasn't really sure if that was down his um, avenue, but he said he'll definitely get somebody on it. And similar to what you just said, I said, all right, bet, cool. Nobody's going to call me. I know how this goes. And if you guys know anything about me and Kamisha's relationship, we're super close. She called me into her office one day and flat out was like, when were you going to tell me? And I was like, tell you what. And she was like, you're still going to lie to me with a straight face. And I said, lie about what? And she got upset. And she was like, all right, like now I'm about to get mad. And she found out that I had got evicted because I couldn't work. And she was like, you're dealing with a torn Achilles. You just got evicted. Like, how are you dealing with it? She sent me to go talk to somebody. She did her job. I went to go speak to somebody here at UNLV, and I'll be completely honest, Matt. I was two minutes into the conversation. I looked at the person, and I said, are you new at this? And it was uncomfortable, but she stumbled over her words and she said, um, I, um, I am a student in training. I said, thank you. You can have a great day. And I got up and I left. Carry on with that in mind. If that is... If she that could have been amazing at her job. I'm not saying that she wasn't. It's just... No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not thinking necessarily of that individual... If it's from that same entity that I've heard of in the past from UNLV, it doesn't come as a surprise to me because you're not the first to say that. Mm. Now, again, I'm almost 95% certain it's that entity because that would make the most amount of sense. Mm. But I'm not sure. I'm not certain on that. Anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if the same happened for Marvin it just feels like if I'm Marvin Coleman, I'm looking at myself, one, as a student athlete. So, well, I don't, well, yes, you're a student and, you know, you should be entitled to the same type of um, resources that maybe non student athletes have right. available to them. I also look at the flip side of that coin and say, you're a student athlete, you should actually have more available to you. The same resources that students at UNLV, student-athlete or not, have available to them should be equally available to student-athletes, if not better and more readily available. Because I've heard of timely issues with mm-hmm. ent- with the, the some of the entities at UNLV as far as um, 
being able to um, see students in a timely fashion, right. um, you know, scheduling wise. Mm-hmm. And so as a student athlete when, at a division one level where you're asked to play, you know, the highest level of collegiate sports traveling, I think UNLV, particularly the the athletic department, should be doing everything in their power to be able to have those resources on hand, you know, when athletes need them. Um, and quite frankly, readily available. Because I think if Marvin or any student athlete had a, a similar problem, getting that figured out and getting that resolved as quickly as possible is probably the best for both sides. Now, again, we're we're pulling from what was said because he wouldn't get too detailed. He wouldn't get really detailed. And with all due respect to Marvin Coleman, this is going to be a little bit bigger than Marvin Coleman since we're talking about him. You guys are going to assume we're talking about just him, but whatever. Here it goes. Then don't talk. I think the uncle's passing thing was important to say. I'm not sure that really anything else should have been said. Because you create more questions by kind of telling you what happened. Don't kind of tell me anything. Either tell me or leave it out. You ever had somebody want to tell you a story and they're, like, they're kind of like on the fence and then they finally commit to telling you the story, but they leave like people out, like specific people out? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I can't tell you this person because if you know, well, okay, so... The name is Emily, right? It's like, fam, don't tell me. I don't care anymore. Like, now I don't even care anymore. I don't want this to happen with Marvin Coleman. I don't want it to be a serious situation that because he's a little uncomfortable to talk about, people stop caring. He has support, indeed. But just because all you see is the support does not mean that that's all that's out there. I could promise you guys there's some UNLV fans that have questions about Marvin that aren't necessarily in the glowing light. Whether they're wrong or not, some people just think Marvin left the team. The fact that he wasn't super, I shouldn't say super, but the fact that he wasn't really detailed at all gave me cause to wonder if he was kind of picking and choosing what he wanted to, to, to say, which, of course, you kind of want to pick and choose what you want to say, but you don't want it to seem like you're picking the parts that make you look best. You don't want that. He did get emotional while mentioning senior night. And I'm completely honest. I've said it before, and I think I'm pretty consistent in it. And if I'm not, I'm pretty sure somebody will let me know. Um, I get it. The only way that I feel like he should not have been recognized is if there was like a volatile practice. That's the only way. Like if you knocking over stuff on the way out, like, and and we know situations where you can knock stuff over and show up to practice the next day and be perfectly fine. If it's not a situ, if it's not one of those few situations and they feel like it's a blow up, I could see if Marvin Coleman wasn't recognized for that. So I'm going into this statement by saying just that. That said, I feel like Marvin Coleman should have been recognized on senior night. I've said it before. 
Marvin came out and said that he still wants recruits, locals, recruits to come to UNLV and experience what it's like to be a running rebel. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I will say, I've told you guys about some UNLV product that has brought some hardware here to this campus. Who it kind of it, it, it kind of baffles people when I kind of tell them. But when's the last time some of UNLV's most prized possessions mentioned UNLV? Good point. <laughs> Everybody point. should be weirded out by that. I will forever bring up Jimmy Kimmel. Cause I don't care where you turn up and you and, and you and you start your legacy, whatever that is. Don't give a damn. Jimmy, and I'm not saying he's wrong. Jimmy Kimmel is L.A. through and through. Damn it, the L.A. Bowl is the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. I don't think I've ever heard Jimmy mention UNLV. And I mentioned Jimmy so you guys can say, oh, it's not just a black thing, right? Yeah, all right, mention it. Now, Here's where I guess I will have to back off of this one because he, he talked about his next step and he said that he's obviously his goal is to get to the NBA. He said that um, if the door doesn't seem like it's open this particular year, he's down to transfer. I'm going to let you take that and, and run with it wherever you want, but I am going to say that I'm here to back off of one topic and one topic only. I want to pain, I should say. He's not going to Reno. I tried to say again. We didn't. We 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 were, we were picking from straws, right? And picking through straws to say. And if things got that bad with UNLV, I still don't know that he wouldn't want to go there. It sounded like things got bad at UNLV when I heard the Kevin Kruger statement, the the glowing comments about Kevin Kruger. I said, cool. When I heard. That he still wants local recruits to come to UNLV. I say, yeah. And I understand Marvin has Running Rebels tattooed on him. I saw that. I heard the local kids comment. And I said, that's where Marvin could have did the most damage. Because kids love him in the city. Mm -hmm. They adore him in the city. If he said don't go to UNLV... Sorry, guys, but there's going to be some kids 10 years from now that remember that statement. He, Marvin Coleman did UNLV a solid by saying that. I think Marvin Coleman probably would have appreciated that to be a two-way street. Mm. <laughs> I think that I don't know. How, however, other way you can word that other than uh, I feel like Marvin at least probably to his perspective, felt like he was showing UNLV all that energy but wasn't getting it reciprocated back in return. Could be wrong, but that's how I look at it. I think that's how he looked at it, and I think that's kind of how he opened up and, and said it. He said that the senior night situation, I thought this was really interesting. He said he wouldn't wish that on his worst enemy. Interesting. He said... Out of everything, he said that affected him the most. And he said it was because he couldn't 
like even he said even until like the morning of he said he couldn't fathom that they would look past the four years that he gave them. And of course the emotions kind of kind of kind of flowed at that moment and I'm happy that Jose V said it because he said that he he obviously has never played a, a division 1 sport. He said however uh he's had things that he worked hard for taken from him. And I think we've all been there before and it's just it's it's one of those things to where I've always said this before. And I've said this about other things too, but I feel like people should never have to go to bed asking why. And I, I mean this on a multitude of things. If you guys want to talk about podcast conversations, I'm talking about cheating. Nobody should ever have to go to sleep wondering why. Conversations just need to happen. No matter how uncomfortable they are. I don't know that Marvin Coleman knows why he wasn't recognized on senior night. He said he's going to take that to his grave. Through six picks of the first round of the WNBA draft, Shakira Austin, Emily Inkst Ooh, we Inksler. I hope I did not slaughter that name. I apologize. Nayara Sabali and Lexi Hull have all been picked. Got the back in and I guess I could say back six, right? I could say back six when it comes to this particular first round of the WNBA draft. Remember, guys, your aces are picking second in this back six, so they're number eight. In addition to that, they also have the number 11 pick. So you're going to hear your Las Vegas aces called a decent amount during this round. Speaking of rounds, let's go ahead and talk about three specific rounds that took place this weekend because – Matt, you had your computer out at the Aviators this weekend, and you were pretty knee-deep in into this Masters, man. I have some topics that I want to uh, talk about. Mainly, we want to start, obviously, with Tiger Woods because that's probably the biggest name that golf has ever had. He shot a, he shot a 71, pardon, on day one. He was one under par. He was good for a tie for ninth. You know what, yeah, let's run through all of these. Day two, he made the cut. That marked 22 straight made cuts for Tiger Woods. He is now second all-time behind Fred Couples and Gary Player. Both of those had 23. Keep in mind, guys, Tiger Woods has never missed a master's cut as a professional. Insane. Especially considering what he's coming off this year. He shot a second straight 78 on day three to finish with a career-worst weekend. He finished 47th. A lot to take in during those three days. Talk about roller coasters. Ups, downs, ups, downs. Is that pretty much the way it felt for you, too? Yes, but I think it was a celebratory moment for Tiger. This is a guy that 14 months ago damn near lost his life. If it wasn't for the advancements in technology that we've had in the last five to ten years, Tiger Woods is probably dead. Because the from all the experts that analyzed the accident of Tiger, they credited that. It was because Genesis had rolled out an entire new safety package to where if something like 
what Tiger went through where you have the car rolling over and it goes into a ditch. If that ever happens, the car is supposed to kind of collapse in a sense that it puts the driver in a cocoon of some sort to where, you know, the airbags all deploy, um, the front end is supposed to collapse in, the back end is supposed to collapse in, and it's supposed to kind of just keep that driver as stable as possible. I also, with that, I'm not saying that that's going to be the end-all, be-all. I think circumstance also helped. The fact that Tiger was driving in the early morning hours, I think, and the fact that there was nobody coming the other direction on the highway where Tiger swerved over and went off the, the cliff, definitely, I think played a big factor because if that's rush hour traffic, I don't know if Tiger is he's still living with us today. The fact that all the circumstances lined up and the conversation went from, is Tiger going to play professional golf to, is Tiger just going to walk again? I, I definitely said, I do remember this 17 months ago, I did say, I won't, I refuse to talk about Tiger playing golf again. I said, I just want Tiger to walk again. Like, let's not let that slip out of mind. There was serious questions about if Tiger was ever going to be able to walk again. If Tiger was ever going to be able to be the dad to Charlie that he, we all saw him in the public eye to be. You know, that dad that was playing golf with his son, Charlie, and, you know, having, we weren't sure about any of that. Yeah. And now we have Tiger Woods playing in a major event on the PGA Tour for the first time in 509 days at 46 years of age is incredibly remarkable. And I think given everything Tiger went through, he looked about as good as I think anybody could have hoped for. Because I don't know, maybe outside of Tiger, if anybody realistically thought he would win this weekend, mm -hmm. they were just hoping <laughs> Tiger didn't do any more damage to himself. I love how you said outside of Tiger, because you know he did not play without expecting he was going to win. <laughs> oh, he even said it. He's, he, somebody, I think, asked him, do you think you can win the Masters? And, you know, of course he said yes. And didn't really hesitate too much about it. Why wouldn't he believe that? Yeah. Um, Let's talk about who did win the Masters, right? Let's talk about Scotty Scheffler for a quick moment. He won the Masters. He shot an under 10. Shot an under 10. It was his first major win, despite being a number one ranked golfer in the world. He's only 25 years old. He did have to overcome a firestorm from Rory McIlroy. I'm not going to lie. I like Rory's attitude. I don't know, man. I know a lot of people kind of know about Tiger Woods, and that's kind of the end-all, be-all for golf. But if you guys know anything about golf – and you guys know anything about me, that's it for me. I need uh, I need somebody who gives me a little bit of attitude, and I kind of get it from Rory McIlroy. There's, a, there's, a, there's an air of confidence about him that kind of just radiates off of him. And seeing the, the run that he made over this past weekend definitely kind of drives home that, 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 that point and that fact. The aces are on the clock as of right now while we're getting ready to talk about Another Vegas team, but a team that had to deal with a team in Arizona most recently, and that would be your Vegas Golden Knights. I started this this, this show by calling the Vegas Nighthawks the Vegas Golden Knights, so I apologize, guys. My bad. Um, but 
Matt, I'm going to actually kind of let you start this particular topic because the Knights did have a five-game win streak, and then they fell short. They fell short for one particular game against Vancouver, and they got right back on the right track with this win over Arizona. How'd they do it? Uh, I think they, they came into the game with the mindset of having their back up against the wall. Um, I don't know if that's any of surprise to to anybody, but I, I do think that this is still only a win against Arizona. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of Vegas fans have to still understand that. It is a win uh, against the Coyotes. Um, you know, In games like this, I often say it would have been a bigger storyline if Vegas did not beat the Coyotes. Um, Which and, they've done before. Uh, I'm sorry. My bad. Keep going. My bad. I mean, you're, bad. you're not wrong. My bad. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but... I would still be on the position that this team is not going to make the playoffs. And I I start I thought about maybe coming around to the idea that they could that Vancouver game sealed it up for me when they lost to Vancouver because Pete DeBoer or quite frankly any of the players didn't have to say a word. I could visibly see they're not going to make the playoffs. Mm. Their body language told me everything. That this was a team that was, at this point, defeated and starting to lose interest. And it's still a slate where the where Vegas doesn't have, you know, 10 more Arizona Coyote games left on the schedule. They've got to go to a Calgary. They've got to go to an Edmonton. They've got to go to a Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. They have some tough games left on the road. They quite frankly got some tough home games for that matter too. I think they've, they've got to welcome back in the St. Louis Blues at some point. I know they've got Chicago on the road. Um, they, they play. I think they play the Capitals before the end of the regular season. So all games that you know can be very tough for Vegas to win and it's even tougher for them to win when they when you look at a team and you see that th- it's a team that is visibly starting to lose hope that they might make the playoffs because i mean you look at the end of that Vancouver game you know w- whether you're watching the the post game press conference or anything like that it just sounded like a team that started to be started to see that writing on the wall. And I know they'll never come out and they'll in- publicly admit it, but I don't think they necessarily had to. Hmm. They have nine games remaining. Three of those are at home. Just to give you guys kind of an idea of what the standings, what the standings currently look like. The Knights are 40, 29, and 4 on the year. Probably would be a good mark for anybody else not named the Vegas Golden Knights but they have 84 points on the year they are fourth currently fourth in the Pacific Division they're 13 points behind Calgary they're six points behind Edmonton they're two points behind LA no sneaky Oilers guys but they're four points up on Vancouver you always tell me at least you told me for the last at least three months that the the most important spot to look is that wild card chase and that's right because if you pay attention to that wild card chase you got Nashville in front 87 points. 
Then you have Vancouver, or excuse me, Dallas, right behind them, 86 points. So if the playoffs started today, your Vegas Golden Knights would be on the outside looking in. The pick is in for the Las Vegas Aces. The pick is Colorado forward Maya Hollingshed. Maya Hollingshed is headed to Las Vegas. 6'3 forward from Colorado. She is the second ranked small forward. Overall, she's ranked 23. You want to say it or do I have to? Feels like what you're going to say is going to be nothing. disrespectful. Could I don't be. want it to be disrespectful. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be. I feel like people are going to make it sound the way they want to make it sound. Just in comparison purposes, remember when – this is going to sound crazy. But remember when the Giants drafted Daniel Jones and majority of the New York fan base was like, even if you wanted, you probably could have got him later? Do you think Maya Hollingshed would have been there by pick 11? Probably. All right, cool. So I want to know. We'll move on. Pick number 10 is up. Ray Burrell just actually went hometown – or uh, excuse me, Las Vegas native Ray Burrell actually just went to the Los Angeles Sparks. So she's joining Liz Cambage, Kennedy Carter, and Derek Fisher and whatever they have going on in L.A. And I'm not going to lie, man, I think Derek Fisher has like the first month. <laughs> I feel like every time we talk about Derek Fisher, we're talking about firing after that. But I feel like within a month, they may know whether they want him around or not. Letting kind of his, his – uh, main talking point being letting Candace Parker walk and now her having a championship in the first season away from LA. I think that probably did more damage than even losing in the first month could have done. So I think if he couples that by losing in the first month, I think Derek Fisher is probably in a world of trouble. Speaking of world of trouble as well, we'll see if these Knights are in trouble because they have Vancouver next. So I told you before that I didn't like those three games against Vancouver. I said that. They got one of them. Don't matter if they play all three. <laughs> if they play all three and they, and they walk away with one, they're probably going to say that they that, that they missed the target on that one. We'll see if they do get it done. Tomorrow the game takes place at 7 p.m. They're 2-1 and one against the Canucks this year. They are 1-1 one one in the last week. I don't know, man. Just random facts for you guys. Um, I think we're actually about to wrap up. We're, we're probably going to get out of here at a decent time. Um, I was going to talk UFC 273 with you guys, but I, I feel like it would run super long. And I know, Matt, you're the boxing guy. So just to kind of give you guys, just kind of keep it in perspective, um, Hamzat Chemaev, um, wow. That match with gilbert burns that welterweight division is stacked that welterweight division is stacked a lot of people believe that that was the first true test for hamzat um if that was the case that's one of those situations where both fighters were looking at glowingly on the opposite end of it a lot of people had questions about gilbert burns heart um if that was the case i don't think you're seeing it anymore um yet and still and I could be wrong, but they just showed Don Staley in the in the uh, audience here at the draft, and she did not look happy. You think she's upset that no South Carolina Gamecocks are off the board yet? You mean the national championship winning 
South Carolina. <laughs> there's two picks left. <laughs> there's two picks left. Your aces are back on the clock. We'll probably end right around the end of this first uh right around the end of this first round here in the WNBA draft here in 2022. But um as I said before, I thought that this was dope because very few times do you get a fight where regardless of who wins or loses, you you come away with looking at it by saying this is good for both of and or good for both parties. And that's exactly what took place in this welterweight matchup. Gilbert Burns showed that he could hurt Hamzat Chemaev, um, and Hamzat Chemaev showed that he could be hurt and he can continue to move forward. This is why I didn't want to rush this conversation. I hope you guys don't think I'm doing so, but I'm not sure what he looks like against Kobe Covington. I'm not sure what he looks like against Kamaru Usman. That's it. <laughs> I, I, and just like Dana White said too, there's a there's a fear factor where you don't want to say scared per se, but there's a fear factor when it comes to dominant athletes like that, where guys aren't just necessarily first to get in line to go line up for that. But after a fight like that, where you've seen him get hurt, the line gets a little longer. Now now people are a little more inclined to wanna to wanna get in there, considering that they may have seen a blueprint as to how to beat him. I know Gilbert Burns is not the world champion. He did compete for a world title, but I do want to let you guys know, everybody is not Gilbert Burns. We'll see what that means. Aljamain Sterling did get victory number two over Peter Yan. And Pewter, um, I'll be honest, I thought Aljamain Sterling won. I gave him rounds one, four, and five. I gave, Or excuse me, one, two, and three. I gave Pewter uh, four and five. It was. I thought it was a. I thought it was an excellent fight. To be honest with you, I thought that Pewter just didn't look on his game, and I'm gonna credit Aljo for that because he didn't look on his game to start the last fight either. And so I understand that it was an illegal blow that technically won the match for him in in that first time or that first time around, but. I'm not sure that it matters, man. Like I told, uh, shout out to Dick Calvert. We were at the Aviators and I was watching the fight and I had it on my iPad and I, I told him, I said, regardless of whether that first match is a DQ or not, I'm looking at it like I'm 2-0 against you. Give me somebody else. Peter Jan afterwards said that he felt like he won the fight. Um, felt like he won four rounds to one, I believe is what he said. Um, he called for another rematch. I was going to come in here with a very, very different take if they awarded him a rematch. So, after the fight, Aljamain Sterling called out TJ Dillashaw, who was in the front row, who seemed excited to have his name brought out by the champion. Dana White said that that's the next fight to make. So, Bantam Wade is headed in, the, in an interesting direction. And lastly, I don't, I don't want to just end the show with probably the most dominant performance of the night, but... I want to be respectful, obviously, in doing it. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky defended his featherweight title in dominant fashion with a TKO, fourth-round TKO victory over the Korean Zombie. 45 seconds into the round, Herb Dean called it quits. Uh, the Zombie in his corner, they're just too, they're too tough for their own good. Um, 21 straight victories for the champion Volk now. Um, I truthfully think the only guy in that division that could beat him is Max Holloway. I, I think that's the only guy in the division that could beat him. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky looked like a madman. If that Alexander Volkanovsky shows up against Max Holloway for a third time, I love you, Max, but if that Volkanovsky shows up, we may hear and still at the end of the night 
in addition to that, if we look at Max Holloway from his last couple of fights, if that Max Holloway shows up and meets that Volkanovski from Saturday night, we're in for more fireworks. As of right now, Alexander Volkanovski is 2-0 against Max Holloway, uh, won the championship for him and defended it against him. I believe that Volkanovski won that first fight. I thought Max won the second one. Judges didn't agree with me, but it seems like the rest of the world agrees that that is the next fight to make. So we're probably going to see it a third time. And as and as we've kind of said before, if it's a 3-0 finish, I think even if there's controversy to the 3-0 finish, I don't know that we can keep going to bat for a guy that he's 0-3 against. So I think if that's the case, too, I think that is the, the angle that Max would be fighting from. And I think that's a dangerous Max Holloway to be across from. Uh, lastly, let's go ahead and end it. We, we're going to end it with my dad's tip in, but I want to end this UFC conversation by talking about the Korean zombie and just letting you guys know. I've kind of let it be known a couple of times, but we talked about asking our our goats to walk away, right, and our greats and our legends. And um, I tweeted it out, and I stand by it. I wasn't going to tweet it, but I stand by it. Very few people can work themselves into being recognized by just one name. Magic, LeBron, Kobe, things like that. Luca. I know people are at home like, did you just throw Luca in? I did. Um, but in all seriousness, the reason why I say that is because Zombie has done that for me. Chan Sung Jung is known as the Korean Zombie and if you love the sport and you're embedded in the sport, you just call him zombie. At 17 and, si and 7 in his career, I got to be honest. I don't need to say anymore. He's given us tremendous moments. He's given us Hall of Fame fights. At 36 years old, he hasn't been able to capture a world title. I don't think that that changes anything for his legacy, though. I don't. I'm sure his mantle looks a little different at home, but in terms of what he means to the sport, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could do anything else. Let's give you guys my dad's tip in and we'll get out of here. I've never told you my take on the UFC, have I? No, talk to me. It's a wildly hot take. Okay. Brace yourself. Get rid of the judges and implement life scoring. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. We don't need judges in the UFC. And if you're going to have them, they should be required to put the score in of the round immediately after the round's over. Everybody in the stands, the fighters, everyone watching at home should know what the score is during the fight. I'm going to give you this one thing. Hmm. How about this? Because I think they do. They turn in their cards at the, at the end of every round. Making them public at the end of every round is interesting. You know what else I would add to that? Hmm. Judges don't have to answer for their calls. Referees and judges don't get interviewed about their calls. I think they should. I think judges should have to do media as well. If we're going to ask players and coaches and participants of the event 
to go through media availability. The same needs to be said for referees, umpires, judges, etc. What if you heard a, a, a judge say why he scored a fight a certain way and he or she scored a fight a certain way and you could just tell by talking, by listening to them talk? You don't know the sport. What happens then? At least you know now it's public record. It's on the record. And hmm. the the fact that bo- boxing and UFC are the only two sports you don't know the score of the actual event until it's over is mind-blowing to me. Like, that would be like them playing an NBA game and saying, hey, guys, we're not going to keep the score. We won't tell anybody what the score is until the game's over. And, like, the players don't know. The coaches don't know. Nobody knows. That's funny. And, except for the person that's, like, writing down what the score is. They're the only person that probably knows. And then we'll publish that score at the end of it. Imagine doing that in a football game. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Oh, man. You would you would get some of the most ugly football scores. You would get, like, an 11-9 and nine game. Yeah. Could you, could you imagine, like, Major League Baseball? Oh, my gosh. I would love to see Mike McCarthy. Can we just do that for a Mike McCarthy-led team? Imagine doing that for golf. Nobody that knows the score. Great. Nobody knows the score of anything until the round is over. I kind of want to. I kind of want to see that. I wouldn't mind it in golf. <laughs> I think I have a problem. Sorry, guys. And for Las Vegas Aces fans that were hoping to hear Destiny Henderson's name called to the Las Vegas Aces during round one of the WNBA draft this year, it's not going to happen. The Aces just took Kirsten Bell. Shooting guard from the Florida Gulf Coast, extreme excitement during her post or during her uh, post draft post announcement, I should say, interview. Keep in mind, guys, the Connecticut Sun are picking right now, and after that, you got the Aces to start up round two. Maybe Destiny Henderson is the first name around two. Don Staley is there. No South Carolina Gamecocks going round one, which is kind of blasphemous, but whatever. We digress. We move on to my dad's tip in. And we will go home. My tip in today is simple and quick as always. Or and, and as always, is this is just my observation. Sports are nothing like they were when I was growing up. There have been so many rule changes, especially recently, that it's hard to keep up. Basketball is probably the probably the one major sport that has changed the least most recently. But still, pardon guys, but still, where are we at? Back in the day when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Um, back in the day, to survive in the NBA, you had to be a bruiser. Good luck going up the middle in a tight physical game, especially if the two teams had a bit of rivalry. You would definitely be picking yourself up off the ground eight times out of ten. But the same cannot be said for today's game. In the NFL, I commend the league in their effort to protect players' health and lives today. Back in the day, do you think that Mike Singletary, Ronnie Lott, Sean Taylor, Lawrence Taylor, Jack Tatum, my dad mentioned Atwater as well, knew what a concussion protocol was. It's a valid question. Even though they dished out and received countless numbers of them. But nowadays, the quarterback might as well have a fence around him. You can't hit him high. You can't hit him low. You can't even graze his helmet. By the way, what the heck is a defenseless receiver? Don't get me wrong. Dirty hits are dirty hits and should be dealt with accordingly. But defensive players have been taught to separate the ball carrier from the ball with hard hits. Now, you can't tell me that every defensive player doesn't think twice before delivering a highlight real hit because he's not sure whether he's going to be flagged or not. 
My last sport is baseball. Lots of changes there and lots are coming. But for the most, yeah, but for, what? what? Okay, but for the most part, the game has stayed the same. Except for, the, except for most recently. The universal DH is weird when you are from the old school. I'm so used to seeing American League pitchers sitting on the bench with no bats in their in, with no at bats in their game, and seeing most major or most National League pitchers, pardon, except for Bumgarner, flail the bat uselessly at fastballs. But I like this universal DH rule, especially for the National League, since now there's an extra bat in the lineup. In life and sports, you have to know what to expect, or you have to know and expect. That change will come. So I'll repeat that one more time. My dad's final sentence of his tip in is in life and in sports. You have to know and expect that change will come. Matt, you got anything else? I'm good, man. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, keep on talking. <laughs>